This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. Automakers are stepping in the battle between the Trump administration and the state of California over fuel economy standards and emissions. 17 car companies reportedly signed a letter to President Trump last week urging a deal be reached to prevent lengthy instability and litigation. The Trump administration rejected that request, saying that California had not provided an alternative. The automakers reportedly also sent a letter to California Governor Gavin Newsom asking for a compromise between the standards set by the Obama administration and the changes coming from this White House. President Trump wants to significantly roll back the standards set in place by his predecessor, where cars must average 54.5 miles per gallon by the year 2025. With credits, though, that average would be actually far, uh, farly lower. California can set their own stricter rules on fuel standards and emissions through an exemption granted by the EPA back in the 1960s. The Trump administration wants to strip the state of that ability, claiming it impacts the pricing of vehicles and hence hurts the industry. With more, we're joined here in studio by John Paul McDuffie, the director of the program on vehicle mobility, on uh, vehicle and mobility innovation at Wharton's Mac Institute, as well as a management professor here at the school. And also joining us, Eric Ortz, director of the Initiative for Global Environmental Leadership and professor of legal studies and business ethics here at Waterman. Wharton. Gentlemen, great to have you with us today. Thank thanks, you. Thanks for coming in. Good, Good to be here. So I guess let's start with the, these letters that were presented by the automakers and obviously have been refuted by the White House. But give us a sense of what you think the automakers, John Paul, were trying to do. Uh, Eric and I were realizing we talked about this earlier when the EP said they were going to review the Obama uh, standards and we saw a fight coming with California. And the, at that point, the automakers didn't say much. And I think our sense was, well, if the regulations could be re relaxed a little bit, that would make life easier for them. But they actually didn't want them to change a lot because they've already they've got this long technology planning cycle. They've been planning for this for a long time, and they certainly don't want two standards. So I think now it's very clear the Trump administration has announced their rules. California has announced they're going to fight them. And the automakers want to signal where they weigh in. Um, they don't want two standards. They want a negotiated compromise. In a way, it's consistent. But I think before they didn't want to take a public stand. Now they've been forced to maybe too little too late. Eric? Yeah, I think that's right. What the what we have, what the auto uh, companies are now facing is the prospect of having one third of the country that's following a relatively rigorous California standard. So it's not just California, it's uh, 13 or 14 other states plus a District of Columbia, including New York and Pennsylvania. So this is a big market and it's not a question of just carving out California and even taking California alone. Yeah. That's one fifth of the economy. You know, that's uh, one fifth of the economy right there. So the uh, automakers don't want to have two different standards. It's all kinds. Of, there's. Uh, it's going to create lots of complications. There's litigation already underway. Uh, to protect the right of California to do this. The Trump administration is now challenging, uh, trying to rewrite the law to say that California and these other states cannot have a higher standard. My prediction is that that's a very weak case, and uh, the record so far of the Trump administration is, is abysmal. Uh, one could use the word losers to describe generally uh, the record of uh, the Trump administration. The reason is that they don't really come prepared with any actual facts. Right. So there's uh, there was a lot of uh, 
a lot of factual development, of scientific development that went into uh, the Obama administration's setting of the standard. And it's not just climate change, which is one big issue, right? right. Is that this is a big piece of the climate change uh, program, part of the Paris Agreement commitment that Obama made. But it's not just that. It's, it's basic economics. So there were, uh, there's a lot of uh, evidence that the economic justification for a higher standard that was under the Obama administration was good for every, overall health. And so yeah. there's a lot, of, uh, a lot of benefits from that. Uh, benefits from jobs, benefits from you know the lower fuel efficiency actually um, might not be what most people want when they want an SUV, but it, overall, when you have lower costs on fuel efficiency, it's better for the economy. So the problem is the Trump administration is trying to move forward with this regulation. It's likely it doesn't have a lot of a uh, lot of uh, it, it's likely it's not going to survive. But the auto companies don't want that. You don't want right. to have huge litigation uncertainty. Uh, it looks like it, you would rather have the Trump administration using its influence to go to California, have a negotiation, and and uh, work out some kind of a, a single stand. But it doesn't look like that's going to happen. So let's go back in time here now for those people that that really don't understand the backstory on this. They, they want back in the 1960s for the state of California to have these standards, the different set of standards in the first place, really came from, from what thinking, John Paul? I mean, it wasn't a big view of climate change at that point. It was really smog around L.A. Mm-hmm. and yeah. a feeling that the with the level of auto traffic they have and felt they would continue to have, it was just going to keep being a major, you know... <laughs> dark cloud over their future. Literally. Literally a dark cloud. And so that was where California got the right to set their own standards. And, you know, the smog is problem is mostly dealt with and California doesn't want to go back. So, I mean, that's a part of the reason they don't, it's not just that they want to fight Trump. It's they actually have a material example in their memory of what happens if you go backwards on this. Eric? Yeah, well, that's exactly the history. Um, uh, for a while, there was resistance. It's like, why is it impossible for L.A. to control to anything close to the standards that the EPA had set for almost all other cities? Sure. It's not just L.A. I mean, Houston has had a problem, et cetera. Yeah. But then it finally became clear it's because anyone who goes to L.A., everyone drives everywhere all the time you in L.A., right? To, yeah. So that has not particularly changed. But what it has changed is that California has taken this issue very seriously. And if you go out to L.A., you see a lot more electric vehicles that have zero emissions, et cetera. And so as John Paul indicated, there has been a success, a success story in the sense that the smog problem is kind of relatively uh, has been significantly eliminated, and uh, and the, and California. The last thing it wants to do is go back to uh, back to some kind of standard where you're going to be yeah. killing people. Essentially, like, like if you don't, if you take this off and just allow everyone to drive their SUVs in Los Angeles and and completely change the the uh, the character of the car culture that has developed, which is relatively cleaner now in the last 20 years or so. You, uh, you 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 can't get away from the fact that you're really killing people. This right. causes it's not just climate change in the future, which also kills people, but it it immediately is is affecting people's health. And uh, I don't see California wanting to go back on that. And I and I, and as we and as I was mentioning earlier, I don't see a court 
coming in and telling California, you know, you have to go back to right. uh, these standards that are going to hurt your people, hurt your economy, et cetera. It's just a pretty strong case that they're going to have on the economics and in, uh, with respect to the health of, of people. The, the, the question around the, the 54.5 number, uh, obviously, we talked with both of you about that over the last few years. And, and as I mentioned before, with credits, it can, it can, that number can come down. But you're talking about the fleet of a cars of cars in right. an, in an automaker. We're not talking about every specific car right. that would have to be be meeting those numbers. So the question yeah. is, you know, is, is that 54.5 number or whatever that lower number is, is that a fair number for the industry? Well, so I think there are a few bits uh, little bits of background that might be helpful here. Yeah. So 54.5 was the original announced goal in 2012. There has been negotiation about that rate, which included California, and it was dropped to 46.7. So 54.5 yep. is the number that's, you know, it's historically accurate, but it's not actually the current yeah. target. Yeah. And um, it's a little lower even for cars. Also, CAFE uh, was a way of calculating this fuel efficiency number which was not deliberately based on laboratory conditions, not based on real life conditions. And now these days when you see a sticker in a new car, it's a, it's a supposedly closer to real life. Yeah. So these numbers are way higher than anybody expects. Yeah. So that's the first thing that, that should be said. Um, you know, my perception is that the industry doesn't love regulation. They don't love these kinds of standards because they see from the evidence of their showroom traffic that people aren't necessarily gravitating towards the most fuel-efficient vehicles. But there's been tremendous innovation, and it's not just electric vehicles. It's not just hybrid vehicles. It's the good old internal combustion engine, all sorts of creative, clever stuff is being done to get more fuel efficiency and get lower emissions out of that. And that's, I think, only good to see that innovation in that technology. Some uh, historians of technology talk about a, a last gasp phenomenon where an incumbent technology that's threatened sort of has a sudden spurt of innovation as it's, you know, maybe as it is about to disappear, but even if it's not about to disappear, something that extends its life. We're in a kind of golden age of not just these alternative drivetrains, but of really creative extensions of internal combustion engine in the direction of these goals. So yeah. why stop that? And I think the auto companies, you know, they might say this or that is harder or easier for them to do, but the overall goal, I think they were headed for it, and that's why they wrote this letter. Eric? Yeah, and I think another piece of that is uh, on the technology is if you take the environmental piece of this question and, and bring it in, um, it's um, it's a fairly high percentage of the emissions of car of greenhouse gases uh, that come from automobiles and trucks that are part of the footprint of the United States. Yeah. So when you are going away from this, the idea that you would halt that, I think if you're a if you're a company. And you have at least uh, a five to ten year time horizon. We are now hearing that the, the best scientists in the world are saying you essentially have ten to twelve years yep. to start to make a radical shift away from um, fossil fuel intensive uh, intensive uses, or you're going to hit really terrible things. So I think that terrible consequences and the car companies, I think, see this as the long term. So to the extent that they are in this for the long term. 
they see that you're eventually going to have to make a technological switch right. to renewables, to very low efficiency vehicles, to, and ultimately to the what well, looks like the most likely solution, and this is what you see in California increasingly, is electric cars. And that's why Tesla, even though it has lots of problems, seems to be yeah. high, having relatively high valuations is if you're looking at the long term, electric is probably a significant part of this answer. And as those uh, those technologies are also improving, so battery technology used to be nobody would buy an electric car because the thing doesn't go more than 100 miles sure. or something like that. Yep, on a now charge, you yeah. have now you have a um, there's increasingly uh, better batteries. Um, there's more renewable energy coming online. The yep. cost of batteries and the cost of electricity from renewables going down. So that's the future. And so the automobile companies are different than the petroleum companies. Where the petroleum companies are kind of pushing for this, they want to they want a low standard set. They want to keep cars on sure. on petroleum. Yep. But the gasoline companies don't really, and they're not really. I'm sorry, the auto companies are not tied to that. Right. So this technological change, they're going to be here too when they switch entirely to electric or, or to uh, to other kind of low emission uh, technologies. Go ahead, jump on. Yeah, and just a quick reminder that you know these are global companies, these are global markets. Yep. Every other market, mm -hmm. Europe, China, they're all going towards more electric, tougher standards to drive that market. So for the U.S. to be one market that's lagging behind, I mean, these companies need to be developing their technology for global sales, and that's another reason why they're going to keep pushing for these things regardless of what the U.S. rules are. It has brought up also, and I've seen a, a, a variety of articles about this over the last few months, is whether or not, you know, what is the future for the internal combustion engine moving forward? Because, as you both have said, you have the investment being made by automakers around the world in EVs, in autonomous, in these other areas. They understand that this is the future. So what does this mean for the internal combustion engine and a lot of these problems that, you know, have been trying to be dealt with through the CAFE standards? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I think part of why this innovation in internal combustion engines is an important part of the story is just some of the realities. About 100 million cars sold last year, 2% were electric. Yeah. These are durable goods. They last for 10 to 15 years if you include used car markets. So even if new car sales went to 100% worldwide today, there would be a, a long lag of internal combustion being sure. in the world. And we know how far we are away from that. Yeah. So. It's the dilemma that we talked about in, you know, the Fiat Chrysler and um, Fiat Chrysler Renault merger talks were somewhat fueled by this. These companies have huge dilemmas. They got to keep the existing business going because it's 98% yeah. of their sales. But they got to invest in the new technologies because they know it's coming and they got to be ready and they've got threats from the tech companies who might, uh, you know, hope to displace them. So that's the that's the investment dilemma for them and that's why they don't need more disruption like two standards for their their fuel fuel emissions and efficiency standards here in the US. Which I guess to a degree does that also bring up when you're talking about these companies being global uh, of how this this change in technology goes forward overseas in places like Europe where they are focusing on the standards. They are focusing on the technology just as much, maybe even not more. And there's maybe even a little more acceptance of these types of technologies overseas. 
Yeah, I think that's right. And you see uh, in this letter, it's not just U.S.-based companies that sign the yeah. letter. Toyota's on the letter, yeah. BMW, Volkswagen. So I think only one, uh, I think only Fiat Chrysler is off the letter. Yeah. I'm not sure why. But the um, kind of putting this in broad, broader perspective, I think you, the, one analogy might this might might fit is that the internal combustion engine is a little bit like natural gas and the big picture of energy usage. So natural gas is considerably less uh, harmful to the climate than petroleum and coal. So you see coal pretty much being wiped out uh, by natural gas, but yeah. and, and for environmentalists, that's a good news because coal is the worst for, 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 the, for the planet. So my sense is that the internal combustion engine is like natural gas in the sense that it's a transitional technology. As John Paul's indicating, you can't just make change on a dime yeah. to like go from 2% electric to 98% electric. But my sense is that in the long term, you're going to go heavily electric uh, if, if you're going to control for environmental problems and that we'll look back on the internal combustion engine kind of like we look back on horses and buggies, which were also <laughs> kind of dirty in the streets, right? Mm -hmm. You're just yeah. not going to use them because you're going to move to... There's going to, it's very hard to control some other greenhouse gas emissions. In yeah. transportation, the technology is right, basically there as long as you change the energy grid to get close or pretty close to a zero emissions uh, uh, footprint. And right now, uh, transportation in general is about 30% uh, of the U.S. footprint. And then cars and trucks, I think, are a fifth of our greenhouse gas footprint. So if you yeah. make a lot of progress on that fifth, that's like you're getting a you're getting close to some of the targets that you need to get to if we're going to avoid a climate catastrophe. The horse and buggy still does pretty well in central Pennsylvania. We should let people know. <laughs> There's not a Very huge true. amount of sales there. Though. No, I don't that think we're going to. There is not a huge amount of sales. So then, what is your expectation then of John Paul of true potential impact? From, from doing these types of letters. I, I mean, it's one thing to make the statement. You're, you're reaching out to both sides. You're trying to broker some sort of a deal so that you have a little more business certainty moving forward. But in the end, is there a lot of impact there? I mean, I doubt it. That Presumably, there's back-channel uh, stuff that's been communicating this position to the EPA while they've been setting these rules. Uh, I think it is a public stance. It has some symbolic value in terms of where the public wants to see the auto companies on this. I think they, it's part of their repositioning towards electric and, and, and clean energy that they would say they don't want to support the Trump administration changes here. Um, you know, and if you take the Trump administration's goal as partly uh, an attack on California, which in many areas has had you know, leadership role in regulations that the Trump administration would like to eliminate. Yeah. Um, it almost doesn't matter, uh, you know, unless California was going to listen to the auto companies and negotiate or unless the Trump administration was going to, the battle was set up and to directly head on attack California's prerogatives in this was maybe part of the big goal in the first place. And yeah. so we're going to see this battle in the courts. But... As I understand it, and Eric, you might know better, you know, this EPA rule for California exemption goes back to the 60s. It's been challenged many, many, sure. many times in court, yeah. and every single time it's been reaffirmed. So it's not just like there was one law passed by Congress and then it's never been legally challenged. We've got a right. whole big casebook of challenge and reaffirmations 
that uh, that would be part of any, including if it went to the Supreme Court, how that this issue would be looked at. Eric? Yeah, I think John Paul's right on the law. And I, I think one, to, one, one point to add is I think there's a there's a divide in in the Trump administration. On the one hand, there's a general sense that the business that it's pro business, uh -huh. and on the other hand, uh, it's clearly a populist presidency. And so, I don't think you can avoid the politics of uh, first. Uh, Trump wants to uh, seems to want to roll back almost any Obama era regulation. So that's first target, and that's a problem here where you're compromising. The compromise goes back toward the Obama standard. That's politically not where they want to be. Uh -huh. They don't accept climate change as scientific reality, which is really shocking. But trying to get over that, it's if you look at the polit politics of that, that's part of the populist appeal is this denial that there's any problem. So why would you con why would you concede anything to California? Then it starts to look like you're actually conceding the problem, which uh -huh. would be nice to see because that's the reality of the problem we should face. But I think the politics of it is that they, they like fighting with California. They like denying that climate change is a problem and they wanna appeal to people who just wanna buy their SUVs at a, at a cheaper price and spend the, uh, and, and burn the fuel, and they and they see they're making a political calculation about that, right. as well as and, and and on the business side, I think you know you started out uh, indicating how business lined up on has lined up on the abortion issue and saying yeah. wait a second this is against it. This is part of my general argument to businesses that they have to stand up to in this case and say, look, what, climate change is a major problem. Automobiles are part of this. You don't have to be allied with the petroleum industry. You know, kind of one maybe semi-radical idea I'd suggest is why don't the companies get together and just say, look, we're going to we see this as a problem. We're going to take the hit. And rather than have this big litigation mess and, and actually calculate, especially if you if if Trump, the Trump administration won't come to a compromise, why don't they just say, you you know what? We're going to converge on the one-third standard, and we'll look at one-third of the country is on the California standard. Uh -huh. It's New York, Pennsylvania, et cetera, as I as I indicated. One of the companies just take a take the high road and say we will comply to the higher standard because we believe climate change is an issue as well, and we're gonna we're gonna depart from the Trump administration on this issue. I'm not sure Trump the administration Trump administration could do anything about that or would want to. Uh, uh, then if the companies took that position and there were auto tariffs put in place or something like that, it would look like Trump is hitting back on the businesses rather than playing right. politics. So I think I think there is an option here where businesses can get together and maybe have come up with their own standards to say, okay, we're going to follow this. Now, that that will cost them money uh, to, to comply with the California standard. But long term, it strikes me that that would put them in a better strategic position to be surviving long term. But I, I guess, John Paul, then when you look at the auto industry, and, and as you mentioned before, with 2% electric and 98% still internal combustion. Yeah. The auto industry has it has a tie to the oil industry, sure, and are going to continue to have a tie. And realistically, the oil industry is probably more so than the auto industry, the one that really wants to keep the standards lower, so yep. that they can you know have more gasoline in in uh, in gas stations and pipelines across America. Yeah. Well, so you can imagine that part of their silence before may have been deciding that they didn't want to come out publicly 
looking like they were backing the environmentally friendly agenda of California for all the reasons, right. but that would also point to their past alliance with, with petroleum and, and, and oil companies and the like. So this is a little bit of them stepping out, uh, uh, be, being willing to take a different position from, from the oil companies. Um, you know, I, I think historically the California standard was a different standard from the federal standard for many years. It was only in the Great Recession when these Obama-era uh, regulations were were negotiated that they went to a national standard. So actually we have, we're only less than a decade into having one national standard, which is now being challenged. The auto companies have planned for meeting California, even though they had some flexibility because the rest of the country wasn't doing it yet for a long time. They've built their technology planning cycles around this um, and that again has pulled them a little bit more towards the you know environmental goals than they might have gone on their own, uh, and, and even given their own instincts. But you know again a little bit this reality the auto industry is a slow clock speed industry. It has a super long product life cycle, you know four to six years. The technology planning cycles are even longer than that, yeah. and nothing is more expensive than disrupting those things in the middle. So. I think that has to be remembered a sort of a fundamental business interest for them is stability in these rules. So from the legal side of this for a second, is this something that, that I, it feels like it has enough teeth where this we're going to be talking about this moving all the way up the, the, the legal chain here, maybe to the Supreme Court at some point? Well, yeah, unfortunately, and what that means from a, a company point of view is that that's a lot of money. <laughs> Right, because right. these are yeah. this is going to be expensive litigation, yeah. and as as John Bell indicated, the last thing they really want to do is have uh, disruption in the planning. You have, you're going to have some uncertainty. I mean, I'm pre, I'm fairly confident that the Trump administration is going to lose on this, but you still have some uncertainty. There's yeah. a Supreme Court that's moving toward the Trump administration on this, and so. Um, even though you might have a high prediction, there's a strong interest for if the if politically for the Trump administration sure. if they decide they're taking this, they're going to push it all the way, uh, all the way through. So that's a lot of expense, and uh, I think that's another reason why businesses really should start to think about how you, you know, how you think about regulation. So that's one one kind of other uh, one other issue here is I think there's a tendency for businesses to be anti-regulation, and they they form that in a in the New Deal post New Deal period. But now that you're in an era where you almost have an Ayn Rand uh, sort of anti-any regulation is best, you realize in the practical world that that's not the case for the auto, automobile industry for the reasons that John Paul has indicated. They need to have long-term certainty for what sure, the yeah. object, what the trajectory is. And yep. so then when they're shifting, when the Obama administration was shifting, they've shifted to that. Now they kind of got the gain of having some regulatory flexibility, but now they didn't want this much regulatory flexibility, right? Sure, because yeah. now it's it's thrown into uncertainty. They're, they they don't know what to do. So that I think is one lesson from this. Also, is that regulation is not necessarily bad for business. What you need is smart regulation. In the right. case of national or global industries, you need uniform. Regulation that's not going to put you in this position of even within one country having two different standards to uh, to try to uh, manufacture for. Great seeing you both. Thanks yeah. for coming in. Our pleasure. Thank you, John Paul McDuffie, uh, Eric Ortz from here at the Wharton School. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.